John chapter 10, beginning, beginning with verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The Jews heard the words and were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a possessed, a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of God for the people of God from the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we're getting started this morning, I'd love to have a little back and forth. And, and if you're in the room, uh, feel free to uh, chime in either audibly or you can jump on the stream and chime in that way. But I'd love to thank this morning about leadership. In your lifetime, uh, can you think of leaders that have, uh, for you, been worth, let's just say it this way, maybe worth following? Leaders that have uh, had a particular, maybe, charisma, or, or they've made big decisions, or, or, and we might even broaden it out. Maybe, maybe they're not a real person, but maybe they, on a show, a leader uh, that you find particularly inspiring, and in, in, in the ways we tell narrative stories, that leader on a show maybe has, for you, formed uh, a picture of what maybe leadership might look like. I'd love for you to either in the comments section or uh, in the room to, to take about 10 seconds, and then we'll, we'll share a little bit, and I'm going to quickly turn some stuff down. Who has a leader that they uh, have on their minds? Mother Teresa from my mother, Joetta. Both are saints. Does that earn me points? Anybody else? David Dunn. Billy Graham. Okay. Your childhood pastor. Okay. Maya Angelou. 
If you're in the comment section and you'd love to put one down, feel free. Anybody else? A leader? Come on, Jay, do we get a little bit of Rick Grimes? By the way, did you hear that there's rumors he might come back for the last season? I just heard that. Yeah, Rick Grimes. Hello, Irina says hello. Hello to Charlie. Hello to the family. Um, Tabitha online says good morning, Kathleen. (laughs) It's good to see you online and in person, Kathleen. Anybody else? Can you think of a leader? Yes, Jeffrey. Jeffrey says me when I was leading the youth group, which he wants to differentiate clearly between how I lead now. (laughs) It was way more fun back then. He's like, yes, you were. Anybody else? Can you think of a leader? It's interesting, um, and I'll probably get myself a little bit in trouble here, but it's just interesting to think. I, we've thought in this last year quite a bit about leadership, right? You think about the, the journey with the pandemic and who is going to lead us, and so who's become like the national name that I had never heard of prior to the pandemic? Dr. Fauci, right? Uh, you think about the elections that we went through and, and where both parties are are having this conversation about who is going to lead us. And, and it's, it's an interesting conversation. Again, I'm not, this isn't going to be one of those sermons, so you can take a deep breath and relax. But it's just, it's interesting. Like, you think about the narrative on both sides of the, in both parties. Like, it's a struggle of leadership. In, in, the, in the Democratic Party, uh, there's this, and it, again, I think it's fascinating. There's this, there's this um, conversation that, that we want Biden because we are pretty sure he's the most electable, but, but yet we also don't want Biden to kind of be the leader of our party for the future. Right? Who is going to be the voice in the future? Um, and it's just an interesting conversation that's created. And on the flip side, uh, now that uh, the election turned out the way it is, there's this growing conversation on the Republican side of, okay, so who's going to be the leader that takes the party into the future? Does the MAGA side kind of control the narrative, or are we going to go back to more a kind of Bush-Romney conversation? It's just interesting the ways in which we in the, leader, uh, we in the world think about leadership and the type of leaders we want, the type of leaders we elect. We, we just got back this last Monday from district assembly where we, as a, uh, um, as a district, elected a leader for another four years. This text I want to suggest to you is, is a text uh, for us that talks and makes us think about leadership. If you had asked me Monday or Tuesday about this text and, and, the, and the way in which the sermon was going to go, I was not very pleased. In fact, I had made a mental note in my phone in the notes section. And Mark, if you hit the next slide, I just realized the offering slide is still up. Oopsies. Um, I, I made a mental note to say next year at this time, make Pastor Sarah or Pastor Laura or Pastor Terry preach on this. Because every week, the fourth Sunday of Easter is what we call Good Shepherd Sunday, where we talk about some part of John 10. And, and just between you and me, I wasn't, at the beginning of this week, a big fan of this text. So I've been trying to process why is it that I was not a big fan of, of this text. And, and this is my best sense, is that we have over-sentimentalized this text. Right? In the room. We've all heard the Good Shepherd spiel, right? And you probably, if you're like me, have grown up in the church where you've heard the sermon about the Good Shepherd and it's so sentimental and we just need to love our Good Shepherd and, and we are the sheep and sheep are dumb and we do dumb things so we need our Good Shepherd. And, and probably if you're like me, Mark, hit the next slide, you've seen this picture which doesn't help the sentimentality of it all. I'm not sure. I think, I think people on the, on, the, on the online will be able to see it, right? But this picture is like this this nice Jesus, by the way, of course, my dad says when he thinks of a leader, he thinks of Picard on Star Trek, which is clearly wrong because Kirk was clearly the best leader. Can I get an amen, Ken Steve? 
Okay, you're clearly wrong too. But we get this picture of like this way too white of a Jesus who has this nice cuddly lamb on him and it just becomes, I am the good shepherd. And then because Psalm 23, which we read at the beginning of the service, has become so familiarized with us, we just tie it together and it just becomes this, this text that we hear and it makes us feel good and it's nice and we get this nice Jesus with a nice lamb. And I just between you and me, I couldn't get past that, middle, that, past that by the middle of the week and I was really struggling. And then I came across another pastor in our district. Mark, hit the next slide. And he had posted this. I don't know if you can see it. It says, when you can't sleep, don't count sheep. Talk to the shepherd. Talk to the shepherd. All right, Mark, you're off the duty. You can hit the next slide, and you can go sit where anywhere. If you want to stay there, that's great. But as I dove into this text, and, and certainly there's some sentimentality here, and it's okay to have sentimental moments, but as I dove into this text, what I realized this week is that Jesus is being highly provocative here. This conversation about the good shepherd is a conversation that really ticks some people off, ultimately, at the end of this text, so much so that they want to throw rocks at him. So there's something about this spiel, this sermon, this conversation that Jesus is having that so offends the church of his day, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, that they can think of nothing more that they would want to do after this encounter than to stone him. So what is that? Glad you asked. Thank you, Pengy. I, I know you were in your head asking that, and so I really appreciate you thinking ahead, and so let's go down that. In the Old Testament, uh, and, and Pastor Laura, you, you thought we should tell some Old Testament stories. Well, here you go. I'll give you my best two minutes of Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if you think about Israel's kind of creation story, certainly we have Genesis, and that's cool, this, this poetic creation story. But if you were to ask a, a Hebrew person in the, in the day of Jesus, what is your creation story, they would have answered you with, with an with unequivocal answer. It's the Exodus story. The Exodus story is our creation story where Yahweh comes and he enters into uh, our, our, our cries for help. He enters in and hears our cries as we are an oppressed people. And he enters in and brings us through our baptismal waters to freedom. And we know the story, right? How does God enter into the story? He does it through a shepherd, Moses. Moses, who is a shepherd, if you go back and read the story, the, the burning bush story, what is Moses doing? He's a shepherd. He's, he's tending the flock. And so God enters in and he calls Moses to leave behind his shepherding the sheep and to go and to shepherd Pharaoh with a message that you are to let my people go. Can you think of another uh, shepherd in the Old Testament? One that we probably think about a lot. David, yeah, yeah. David's probably the most popular shepherd. David, who is the shepherd king. David, who, when Samuel comes looking for who's going to be king, it's not that son, it's not that son, it's not that son. It's that. And finally, after you get through all the sons, he said, is there anybody else? And he says, oh yeah, my youngest, the shepherd. And so this shepherd ultimately becomes the king, and this shepherd king becomes the epitome of the height of Israel's what they, you know, power and, and story. And in their imagination, David really is the pinnacle of where we came from and, and the pinnacle of our hopes of where we'll return to. And so this image, 
This image of shepherd is not just this nice sentimental image that we, we get that Jesus pulls so he has a good sermon metaphor. This image of shepherd becomes this provocative image of who it is we want God to lead us. And, and in particular, frankly, the leadership God has given us. But you know the story of the Old Testament. The story doesn't go so well. The leadership, even David himself, isn't that great of a leader if you follow kind of the ins and outs of this story. And ultimately, the leadership, the shepherds of Israel, lead them to a not-so-good place. Turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel's this fun book, and, and we don't have time to nerd out too much on it today, but essentially... Uh, Ezekiel has this vision uh, of the holy place, of the temple, of the the place where heaven and earth uh, overlap. But in this vision Ezekiel has, it is tarnished. And it's tarnished in particular because Israel has gone into, or is getting ready to go into exile, he sees in this vision. And so over the, the next several chapters, Ezekiel begins to prophesy about Israel and their story, that you are, you are getting ready to go into exile. And here's the reason you're going to exile. You haven't, you haven't lived in the ways I've called you to live. And then ultimately in chapter 33 of Ezekiel, you get this picture where Ezekiel catches the news, and the news says it's happened. Israel's no more. They've been taken over. But then we get this interesting chapter, and I want to read from you a little bit of it in chapter 34 of Ezekiel, beginning with verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flocks? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd... And so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds. It's pretty direct. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from the tending of the flock so that shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food 
for them. So you get this in Ezekiel, you get this prophetic sense where Ezekiel is saying, he is picking up on the dominant imagery of the Hebrew people of the shepherd, the shepherd which was the leadership in Israel and said, your leaders, the shepherds of Israel have failed to lead well. They have failed to act justly. They've failed to take care of the poor and the widow. And instead they have taken all the resource for themselves. They've clothed themselves. They've fed themselves. They have not acted justly. And Ezekiel prophesies the word of the Lord. I am against the shepherds. So what I want you to see is that the shepherd is this dominant image for Israel, not of some sentimentality, but of leadership. And in this prophecy that, that, that would have been dominant for a good Hebrew person, God critiques the shepherds. By the way, I was thinking for those of you who've been watching the shows, and I was thinking about uh, this last episode we watched this week. There's this moment. Who's the new disciple we got to see? Laura, do you remember? Is it Zach? No, it's not. It's, uh, huh? Nathaniel. Yeah, it's Nathaniel, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's Nathaniel. There's one other. But anyway, they, so, so the, this new disciple, I think it's Nathaniel, shows up, and, and Peter and him, and they go back and forth. It's quite funny. They have a little Western music, which, would, of course, would have been natural for that day. I loved it. I know Mark doesn't like the music of the Chosen, but I love it, and I'm clearly right, and he's clearly wrong. Just ask us. Um, but then in, in, in this introduction with this new disciple, he begins to quote Scripture. And what happens? All of the other disciples begin to quote Scripture with him. In fact, that leads to Matthew and some of the women disciples having this conversation about, well, we, 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 need, to, we need to begin to memorize some scriptures and prayers. I, I tell you that to say, I think that is a picture of the modern context of Jesus' day, where, where good Hebrew people would have been deeply rooted in the scriptures and would have had large portions, if not the whole Torah or Old Testament memorized. And so this text from Ezekiel 34 about the shepherds would not just been a one-off text that we would have rarely heard of. It would have been a text that was dominant in a Hebrew imagination. And so when Jesus starts preaching a sermon or entering into a conversation about shepherds, they instantly would have thought back to Ezekiel 34. Now, one more bit of nerdy context before we kind of begin to land this plane for us in 2021. I'm convinced, now we just read, what, like nine verses from Ezekiel? Or from, from John, uh, in terms of John 10, 11 through 18. But, but I'm convinced that if you want to understand this good shepherd, you can't do so without really reading all of chapter 9 and all of chapter 10. In chapter 9, you have this story of a healing of a blind man. Or Jesus heals this blind man on the Sabbath. And it causes all sorts of waves in the church of Jesus' day. The pastors and the leaders and the board members of the church get all sorts of fed up because they hear that this Jesus has healed somebody on the Sabbath, which is against all the church rules. It's against all the rules that are in the, the manual of their day, right? And so they are ticked because we can't have anybody usurping church authority we can't have anybody healing on the Sabbath, and we can't certainly have anybody saying bad theology, heresy, claiming they're one with the, God, the divine. And so they bring this one who is healed in for questioning. They bring him to church, but they don't bring him to church so he can give a testimony. We should bring back testimony sometimes. They bring him to church so they can set him on the stage and give him a nice stool and give him a cup of coffee and say, now tell us the facts. We want to know about this this renegade rabbi. Did he heal you? Did he heal you on the Sabbath? Who is he? Tell us, tell us more. I can't wait, by the way, till the chosen gives us a bit of this story. 
And it's interesting that this man just says, I don't know what, essentially, I don't know what you want me to say. I couldn't see, and now, now I can see David Dunn on the front row. And the pastors and the church board and the leadership of the day are just, they're out, they're losing, they're, they're going bonkers. And ultimately, they do not care about this one who had been ostracized from the community, who had been kicked out, who had been left as a nothing. They do not care about him. And even though he's now healed, they still kick him out of the church. Which is very different in that culture than it is for us. If, if we kicked you out of the church, David Dunn, you'd probably be like, great, I can have brunch more. But in that day, to be kicked out of the church was to be kicked out of the community. In many ways, to be kicked out of your own family. And so you have the pastors, the shepherds, the leaders of the church of that day who do not care about the peace and the shalom of the community and the individuals inside the community. They only care about consolidating their power. And here we have this renegade rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth who seemingly is not, uh, he is not willing to obey our authority and we want nothing to do with that. And so they enter in with this posture of anger to a conversation with Jesus. And it is here that Jesus begins to enter into a conversation with him. And I just am picturing Jesus always loving, but a bit snarky. And he says, I am the good shepherd. What's the implication of that? You all are not. In fact, you all are thieves and robbers. By the way, can I just speak from a pastor? Like, if you really want to get under my skin, and I, by the way, I, I know not all sermons are great, but if you really want to get under my, like, under my skin and, like, poke the bear, it is two minutes after a service. Whether the sermon's been great or not, you tell me, I hated that sermon. It just, like, blow, blow you up, right? Jesus does a bit more than that. Not only does he say, your sermons stink, But he says, you guys are imposters. You're thieves. You're robbers. And he goes one step further. He says, I am the good shepherd. Sure, this text can be sentimental, but it needs to be sentimental in its proper place. And that proper place is Jesus who is the Christ, the cosmic Christ, ending in to humanity, the word becoming flesh and taking on the religious system of his day, challenging the ways the leadership of the church, the board members, the pastors, the preachers, the lay people with all the, the gusto are failing to lead well. And so Jesus challenges them. And he challenges them in such a way that ultimately leads to them wanting to pick up rocks and chuck rocks at his head. It's interesting uh, for us to ask then how ought we to think about this text? Where do we find ourselves within this narrative? Do we find ourselves on the side of Jesus as the church? Or do we too often find ourselves on the side of the church of Jesus' day, nervous with the words that come out of this rabbi's mouth, ultimately wanting to throw rocks on Facebook or Twitter, hoping to get rid of the true Jesus because he's just too radical for our liking?
Before I end this morning, I want to think about two phrases that Jesus offers in this text. Two phrases that I think we in the church uh, need to wrestle with in, in this season of the world history that we're in. What does he say? And I probably should get the scriptures again so I, I read it correctly. Back to John chapter 10. See, Tabitha, this is where I didn't use my other trick and put something here so I could just go right back to it. Now you got me thinking about these tricks. Thanks. John chapter 10 again. And he says, I am the good shepherd. Verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I want to think about that. I, I know that's become commonplace, right? Of course the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Certainly that has to do with the cross. I am convinced it also has to do with the incarnation. But Paul will go on to say things like Jesus self-emptied himself. And so what does it mean as a leader, as the good shepherd, as the shepherd that we are to model ourselves as the church after when we hear words like, I lay down my life. Laying down our life is a self-emptying of our rights and our power for the sake of the other. So as much as we sentimentalize that text and we hear that text and, 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 and we're supposed to say amen to that text, we need to be honest in our world that we shouldn't, we don't really like that type of leader. That is not the type of leader our world follows. We want a leader that doesn't lay down our life. We want a leader that takes up their life. We want a leader that gets more followers on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. We want a leader that will take on the people we don't agree with and tweet really negative things about them. We want a leader who is going to grab the bull by the horns and further our agenda at any means necessary. Whatever we have to do to cancel the people we don't like. That's the type of leader we in this world are often drawn to. And frankly, in the church, it's the type of leader we often are drawn to. And yet this Jesus who is the Christ does not model for us that type of leadership. He offers for us the type of leadership of laying down our life. You want to come say hi? People are probably falling asleep at home, so they need to be woken up. So here, can you wave to the camera? Or I think the camera, I think we're over there. Can you wave? Okay, can you say hi? Okay, love you. Go play. What do you have I got a microphone. You can talk with it later. So what do we do as the church when at an imaginative level, we really want a leader that's going to move the needle, but we're not all that attracted to a leader that just gives up their life. I think this text invites us in the church to ask the question on a day like today, is Jesus really the one we're going to follow? And, but, but be careful with that answer, because if the answer is yes, and I think John is inviting us to say yes, if the answer is yes, then that is also the posture we in the church take. So power grabs and yelling louder are not then the posture the church takes. The posture that the church takes is one of love. The second, the second thing 
that Jesus says. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. It's interesting the world we, we live in where if you, you read all the studies, people are increasingly lonely. It's interesting, uh, even in this lonely world we inhabit, to think about the ways in which we, uh, we decipher information, the ways in which we learn, the ways in which the algorithms feed us different news sources and, and articles and blogs and things that, that will just to continue to walk us down the road we're already going. And so if you're somebody who's a big Fox News person, there will be algorithms that just continue to feed articles that, that kind of go down that road. And if you're a big CNN person, there are going to be algorithms that pop up on Facebook that continue to feed you articles. And so in this lonely world, one of the things we, we face is we don't really know each other. We know a few people that are kind of on our side. They're, they're our allies. They're the people we can, we can talk to. But we don't know uh, there's not this wide range. We don't get to know a lot of people, and we certainly don't get to know a lot of people that disagree with us. It's interesting then in this text that Jesus says, I know my sheep, and they know me. It's this invitation to intimacy. It's interesting as it goes on, it'll even say, there are sheep... Outside this fold, and they're mine. What, what does that mean? We could get really nerdy with that and take a long time, but at, at the very least, what it means, what Jesus was saying to the church of his day, is there are people you have written outside the story, and they are so in the story, and you are going to be so surprised when you see them in the story. And so, in this world where we are so lonely, and in this world where we just continue to talk and hang out and get to know people who think like us and act like us and look like us and talk like us, Jesus is inviting us to know and be known. He's inviting us to be intimate in the best sense with even those we would never imagine sharing intimacy with. Good Shepherd Sunday. where our good shepherd invites us to a fundamentally different reality. And the question for the church is how will we respond? It's interesting that the text we read today ends uh, with two responses. One, they think he's demonic. And two, he just brought healing. How can he be demonic? By the way, if the church was to take Jesus truly seriously and to love in the radical nature that Jesus loved, there will be some people that think we're demonic. And probably those people will come from the church. <laughs> At least they did in this text. But what would it look like if we took on the posture of our good shepherd and leaned in to the reality of the kingdom, to where, as John will say, the reality of, of eternal life that brings healing and sight, not just someday then, but right here now. In such a way that there would be some that would say, that 
that kind of love cannot be demonic. And so this week, I invite us to just ask the question again in much more than sentimental ways. Do we really want to follow the good shepherd? Is that really the type of leader we want? By the way, I hope the answer is yes. But if so, the next step is following it. Not it, him. In the way of love, in the way of sacrifice, in the way of turning the other cheek.